Holy God, today we come to worship you as those who just can't help it. We, we uh, rejoice in having let go of the burden of sin and death, being freed from that burden by your grace, freed to join your household as your children, born again in your spirit, transformed from worldly flesh to otherworldly, eternal being made in the image of our Creator. We rejoice, Lord, and celebrate that we're not worthy, but we receive this gift of grace anyway. We praise you, Lord, because the thing we most fear, death, has been overcome, conquered by Jesus Christ, so that his resurrection is a foretaste of our own resurrection, so that we need not fear what happens when our bodies fail and our spirits soar into your presence because of your grace. And so we know, at least like the thief on the cross who confessed Christ, that we will be with him in paradise. And when he comes again, we will be transformed and join all who have died in Christ in returning to live eternally in the flesh. As Job said, with my eyes... With my own flesh, I will see my Redeemer. Because he lives, I will live too. And this is why we worship like we can't help it. This is the good news we call the gospel. And this, Lord, is what forms and shapes the way that we pray about the stuff of our lives. As we ask you to forgive us for being overly concerned about ourselves and our things those people that we hold in perhaps in an inappropriate way. We ask that you help us to let go of self and flesh and things and earthly loves that pass away and help us to embrace you altogether. To entirely enter your kingdom and be your subjects and servants and brothers and sisters. We ask, Lord, that you help us then as born-again eternal beings to interpret our suffering as temporary and as something that will one day be forgotten. Help us to interpret our times through our commitment to you Help us, Lord, to see the things that we suffer as, if anything, to pray about, something to pray about because it keeps us from doing all that we can to glorify and praise you. When we are broken by grief, Lord, come and bring us comfort and joy, we pray. When we are broken by shattered dreams and broken promises, 
come and remind us that your plan never changes and your promises are never broken. When we are sick and suffering in our bodies, when we are suffering financially, when we're suffering because of sin and, and worldliness all around us, when Satan is attacking, come and defend us, Lord, in such a way that we can feel sheltered under your wings, as you said, how much you would love to gather us under your wing like a hen protecting her chicks. And so, Lord, take us to that place as we pray and leave these things in your care, our fears of viruses, wars, famines and earthquakes and natural disasters, all of this, Lord, you can, with a word, defeat. And if you do not, who are we to question you? So give us grace like your own, even to forgive you for being all-knowing and all-powerful, and we, in our ignorance, tempted to criticize you. Have mercy on us, we pray. And Lord, as we come to the altar of grace and eventually feed from that altar, we are comforted to know that the Lord Jesus Christ, who was and is and will always be, has given us words we can say together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. We're going to read Matthew 16 and... We're going to read verses 13 to 16. That's on page 977 in the Pew Bible. And while you find that, let me just say that this is the beginning of a new Lenten series of messages called Seven Questions Every Christian Ought to Be Able to Answer. So I'm going to, I'm going to take each of these questions and give you answers that I think will help you as you share your faith with others. It's all part of an emphasis that we're putting on the Easter season where we tend to see people visit more frequently, people come back who have fallen away, fallen out of the habit. And the idea is, is that you would be effective witnesses for Christ as you encourage others to join you in being disciples. That's after all our mission, being disciples, seeking disciples so we can change the world and be vital to this community because of our discipleship. Now here's our reading. It is Matthew chapter 16, starting at verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, 
for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this passage takes place in a, in a very interesting location, and some of you this last fall had the opportunity to go there. It's in northern Israel. It's about, oh, 30 miles north of the northern part or northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, so it was a day's walk for Jesus and his disciples as they left, say, Capernaum and made their way to Caesarea Philippi. It's where the headwaters of the Jordan River are, and it is literally a place called the Gate of Hell. There's a cave in Caesarea Philippi, and even though today it's very lush and beautiful there, and there's the sound of running water, and it's very tranquil, it was at the time of Jesus a place that had temples and buildings and all sorts of activity, courtyards. There were, in its earliest days, the Canaanites built a sanctuary to the god Baal, which is one of those that the Lord God really hates. And the Greeks and the Romans made it a sanctuary honoring the god Pan. Pan is the god of, of uh, wildness. And uh, I'm trying to think of what, how you explain it. Just wild, you know, indulging every fleshly desire. That's Pan. He's, he's the guy that is always partying and always indulging the flesh. That's why these buildings were dedicated to various practices, including a uh, ritual brothel. And uh, it's a place where people were celebrating the flesh next to a place they referred to as the gate of hell because it was a cave filled with water and appeared to be bottomless. They couldn't see down to the bottom and no one to this day knows exactly how far down it goes. And so it was referred to as the gate of hell and they even built a, a beautiful Romanesque building or Greek building over the entrance to the gate of hell so that you could properly approach it in a sort of religious fashion. So to say that Caesarea Philippi was influenced by Satan and demonic powers would be an understatement. It was dedicated to the worship of demonic powers and Satan and the flesh. Now when you learn that, it changes the way you hear the story that we just heard a little bit. You think to yourself, now why? Why would Jesus take the apostles from down by the Sea of Galilee where so much miracle wonderment about Jesus being God in the flesh occurred where they saw his authority over creation and they saw his ability to heal the sick, raise the dead, and take away sin. When they witnessed all of that, and in his name they went forth and shared all about him with the world, and they witnessed miracles too because they preached in his name, they go from that for a day's walk to the gate of hell. Why? 
Why would Jesus take them there? The answer is, I don't know for sure, but I, I have a hunch. It stems from the fact that during Jesus' weakest moment, when he was in his 40 days of fasting, and during this weak time when his fast and his, his spiritual preparation was being tested severely by Satan, here's the moment where Jesus is readying himself for his mission and purpose, and Satan is trying to defeat him in the fulfillment of his mission and purpose through temptation. And temptation means the same thing to Jesus that it means to you and me. It means he thought about it. Temptation means the same thing to Jesus as it means to you and me. It was something he considered, but he didn't give in. He rejected the consideration altogether. And what is the temptation that Satan has offered to Jesus in the wilderness? Three times he offered him fuel for the flesh. He, 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 each time he offered something that Jesus' flesh, his human nature desired in exchange for dropping to his knees and worshiping Satan. In other words, the Son of God was being tempted to give in to his flesh and give Satan what Satan always wanted, which was to take God's place as supreme being. In each, key, in each case, Jesus rejected the temptation. And in each case, he rejected it by quoting Scripture, which is not something small. It's something you want to remember when you face temptation. Open your Bible. Remember Scripture. Now, this happened early in Jesus' ministry, really right before he got started with his, his mission. And then later, after he's proven over and over again that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, he takes his apostles and standing in Caesarea Philippi, this place that is just evil, where they made ritual sacrifices and they threw people off the cliffs of Caesarea Philippi as a sort of sacrificial offering. And, and they had these brothels and they had all of these, these ceremonies dedicated to, to gods of the flesh. And, and they even had a ceremony at the gate of hell. Jesus says, who do the people say I am? And the apostles give some answers. And then he says, but who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, perfect. That confession is so powerful that when it becomes the truth that rules your life, not even the gate of hell, see he's pointing at it, right? Not even the gates of hell can resist it. What he just did was he reversed what happened in the wilderness by throwing it down with Satan. He went to the gate of hell and he said, Satan, they know who I am. And there's nothing you can do about it. And not only that, but they have it within themselves to break down the gates of hell. You want to hear something really awesome about Caesarea Philippi? Today, it's just like a park. It's just a beautiful place where you can sit and dangle your feet in the headwaters of the Jordan 
where you can listen to birds sing and look at flowers and, and you can look at the cliffs and, and, and you can admire God's geological genius. And there are signs of what used to be there, but it's gone. And in a feel, there was a feeling when we visited that spot that we were Christians storming the gates of hell. And you know what's really neat? I stood right in front of that cave and not one demon came out and tried to challenge me. Not one. Nothing came out of that cave except cold, damp air. Now I know you might be thinking, well, that's because it's not literally the gate of hell. But you know, people believed it. And I stood there, and I mentioned this because I imagine some of the others who were there, they probably stood there themselves after thinking it over and realized that there wasn't a thing anybody could do if we wanted to go into the gates of hell and, and swim all the way down to where Satan lives and thumb our nose at him. It's a nice thought. And the reason I mention it to you is because perhaps today for the first time you're hearing this confession in a new light. It's more than just Peter saying, I get it. I know who you are, Jesus. He is saying with absolute certainty before the gates of hell, Satan, you're not fooling anybody. We know who you are and we know who Jesus is. So question number one for today is who is Jesus? And the answer is he is the Christ, the son of the living God. He demonstrates in multiple places throughout Scripture that he is none less, nothing less than God in the flesh. He is the second person of the Trinity, the triune God, and he is on the earth, in the flesh, expressing God's voice and God's love and God's power. And there's no mistaking that to the people who encounter him. The only ones who can't see him for who he is are the ones who had given in to the temptations of Satan and were blinded by their own pride, by their own sense of importance. It's always that way, you know, when we argue about truth in society. There will be those whose truth is informed by their flesh. That means that if you're arguing about evolution, let's say, you will say, if you are entirely in the flesh, it doesn't make any sense. And all the evidence points to this. So why would Christians be so foolish as to believe that an invisible God, magnificent and genius in scope and unmeasurable in, in his capacity, spoke a few things and this all just sort of happened. Well, one is informed by the reason and the pride of humans. Other is informed by faith. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus said to Peter that that confession would make you so powerful against the invisible forces of darkness that would make you such an instrument of God's grace and mercy and love in your world that you would change it through discipleship, that is, obedient following of Jesus Christ. And he said that because he was God, he could forgive sins. He said that because he was God, he could raise the dead, and he did. He said that because he was God, he could multiply fishes and loaves to as many as needed. 
He said that because he was God, if there was a storm raging that was so terrifying that seasoned fishermen were afraid for their lives, all he had to do was say, be still, and the storm would stop. He said that he would die and rise again on the third day, and he did. Who is Jesus? He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He did rise again, and he did ascend to heaven, and he said he would come again, and he will because he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The answer to question one, who is Jesus? Let's say it together. The Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen. Amen.